Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Good morning, Coastal. You do that every time, don't you? <laughs> yeah, for the back, back story, I'm a Bills fan, and, you know, I think any time I'm up here, he's got a Dolphins jersey on. <laughs> and he don't wear the white either. He's got to make sure it's the colorful one. <laughs> so, well, uh, I'm excited to share with you. Um, have you have heard many times now that the theme for Coastal this year is reaching out from a position of strength. And what better way to do that than standing on the true word of God? We want to thank God for his living word and the direction that that truth gives us. The word is a spiritual currency. We can take it to the bank. Even non-believers will use terms like, that's gospel or this is gospel. You know, they got their code of conduct and they'll stick behind it, but we have a much greater code and a living code. So the message title today is The Truth is Gold. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Job 22.25, Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. So Father, I just pray that... Um, you open the, heart, the hearts and the ears here today to hear your word, Lord, and that the word is of you and not of me, Father. I lift up the Kalea students as they are heading back to campus and will start their journey again, that that fire that is kindled will just be ablaze because we know that light overcomes darkness and your word tells us and that that fire stays lit and they stay fed on it and that they can just be that youth vessel that is needed in this world today, especially in a college campus, Lord. We lift up pastor to you, and I know I don't need to declare it more than once, but for those here that didn't hear in the beginning, I know that he believes, and I believe, and he will be going in, and that hole shall be healed, and he gets to use you as the reason why and preach it even more to those that will be in disbelief, Father God. Again, may your word just... Be through me and not of me, and in Jesus' name, amen. So there's plenty of truths coming out of the Bible because it's a true word. Um, so every Sunday could be a sermon on the truths of God, but uh, I have a couple points that I would like to go through. Proverbs 2, 1, 5. My son, if you have received my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So there's power in speaking scripture. You know, we sometimes just get into reading it, thinking about it. But our salvation comes when we confess. When those words come out of our mouth is the salvation. We are actually speaking the word out and proclaiming it. Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. After being baptized by John the Baptist and led in the Spirit, 
he was led into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. Now, I haven't really gone two days without eating, but 40 days without eating, I am pretty sure Jesus was at one of his weakest points while he was here on earth. Satan, knowing this, decides he's going to come and try to tempt Jesus. The first attempt was Matthew 4, 2 through 4. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus could have fed himself whenever he wanted. Those stones could have been bread. He could have just done as he pleased, but he was there to serve the Father and the Father's will. Satan then tries again in verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. See, Satan, as the tempter, he knows the word of God. That's why we need to be discernful in reading our word. We need to meditate on the word so that we know it better, because Satan, as Pastor shared last Sunday, you can't counterfeit a $9 bill. But you can take the truth and twist it to fit your agenda or to fit the way you want to believe it in your fleshly self. But we need to be in our spiritual body and discern with using the Holy Spirit to guide us. So he gave it one more attempt. Um, Again, 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. You see, if you continue to rebuke Satan, he's going to leave. He has no choice. Jesus is already victorious over Satan. That is a battle that's already been won. It's a victory. It's a war that has already been established, and we know we're on the right side under God. So as you can tell, each time Jesus was facing it, he said, it is written. And he didn't just thank it. He spoke it out to Satan. But see, Satan also knows scripture. So we don't want to be the regular Christian that just believes in God, because guess what? Satan believes in God. But we want to be worshipers of God. So you may want to choose a verse. It may be one, but you want to maybe speak it aloud over day and day until you really start to believe it. The power of tongue, the power of your tongue brings life and death. Words are spiritual, and they affect your spiritual man and your physical body. I'm going to run through a couple just to kind of bring this home to you. Um, 
Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 1 Peter 5.7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Psalms 91.10.11, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. James 4, 7, submit, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Psalms 119, 89, 90, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven, your faithfulness endures to all generations, you establish the earth and it abides. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our inequities, and chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So you can see Ephesians shows us that we are blessed. We can live on that, speak it out. First Peter shows us that there's, we don't have to worry, cast it on the God. God will take it from us. Psalms 91, we're protected. He's already covered. He's watching over us. His angels are there. James 4 shows where we need to be a part of it and submit and be worshipers of God. And then the devil will not, he will not be able to, if we resist, the devil will not be able to take in. Psalms 119, which is an amazingly long chapter, um, it's already settled, it's established. We have nothing to do about it. God is here in the beginning, here to the end. It's already written out for us. Isaiah 53, four through five, sickness is not of God. He has already bore that on the cross and by his stripes, we are healed. So if you're not feeling the presence of God, well, if you're not feeling it, maybe you need to feed on the promises of God and feed on the word of God. We have a right in our action to take that step. Scripture is alive. We need to chew on the word, meditate on the word, seek the truth of the word, for the truth shall set you free. My second point is God gave us a lot of covenants. Um, you, have the, you have the Adamic. You have the, um, sorry, I lost my spot here. You have the Adamic, the Noatic, the Abrahamic, the Palestinian, the Mosaic, the Davidic, and the New Covenant. But there's a covenant tied in with the New Covenant that I don't think we've talked about much. And when I came across it, it was a revelation to me. And I hope it will do the same for you. It is called a threshold covenant. So in biblical times which is very hard for us to even comprehend what that Mideastern, especially being westernized, what that culture was like. They had all kinds of covenants. There was even a blood covenant where a man and a man could make a covenant with each other. There's a whole ritual behind it. I didn't study up on that enough, but um, they would do things like they would exchange their belts because in that time your belt held your sword. You were representing that you were now to protect this man. 
they would sacrifice an animal, cut it in half, and do this ritual around it. And everything that was yours was theirs. And it went on forever. It went to your children. It went through your family. So I believe David and Jonathan made this covenant because Jonathan and David had a relationship, even though Saul was trying to go after him and get him because he knew that he was probably going to be the king. Um, Jonathan always tried to give David the heads up and keep him out of danger. And when, jo when David, when Jonathan was killed, David became king and everybody was afraid that David's going to come in and get rid of all Jonathan's family. So they took one of Jonathan's child and ran and the lady dropped him and the child was crippled. So years later, David finally found out where this child was and brought him into the kingdom. Everybody, he thought for sure he was going to his death. But instead, David offered him a place at the king's table. You see, that covenant he made with Jonathan was generational. It went to the children. So the beginning of this threshold covenant is in Egypt at the 10th plague. Exodus 12, 21, 4. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out the door of this house until morning, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house and to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. So before coming across this threshold covenant, I always just pictured them having a bowl filled with some blood taking the hyssop, striking the doorpost and the lintel. But now as you come to understand the culture more, that basin was actually in the threshold. It was already there. It's not something that they were carrying around with the blood. The blood was poured. The animal would have been sacrificed. They would have bled it out into the threshold. And that basin there would have been where they were dipping the hyssop from. The word kaf in Hebrew, which is basin, is actually translated into the meaning of threshold. In the Hebrew culture, the threshold was a very important place. If somebody was to invite somebody over, they would take a kosher animal, sacrifice it, put the blood there, and as that person entered, they were to step over and not touch the blood, and meaning that they were in agreement into going into the house and into that um, whatever it was that they were over agreement with, whether it was offering their daughter as marriage. Um, so, and you see that in a marriage as the husband carries the wife over the threshold for the first time that they go in. But to trample on the blood when you go in showed that you did not come in peace and that you, that you did not want to enter into that agreement. Zephaniah 1.9, In the same day also will I punish all those that leap on the threshold, 
which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. See, it is to know of God and then to trample on that threshold is not a path we want to go down. Hebrews 10, 28, 31 even reiterates it more. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How, oh, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, I think sometimes we need to fear Satan a little less and fear God because he is the ultimate decider when it's said and done. It isn't the temptations that we fall into. It is how we handle those. The word in Hebrew, Pesach, which is Passover, had a couple meanings. The obvious one is to skip or go over, but there's also lame or walk with a limp, hesitated, Elijah used it that way in 1 Kings 18.21, telling the Israelites to stop going between God and Baal. In Exodus 12.23, the destroyer wasn't just skipping over those houses with the blood. God himself, Adonai, was not allowing the destroyer to enter. He was there protecting. God is always protecting those covered in the blood of Yeshua. Jesus' blood is now applied to the doorpost of our lives so that we are saved, delivered, redeemed, being protected from the wrath of God. See, God sees his son when he's looking at us saved. God sees either saved or punishment. Jesus is the one that's coming and giving us that salvation. But God is going to come back, and we want to be on the right side of that. Revelation 12 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. See, our spirit is going to live on eternally, regardless, and you got two places it can go. But through this threshold covenant, we're thankful to have that eternal life. Jesus even talks about him being that threshold covenant in his own words. John 10, 1 through 5, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. Yet, they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee to him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Another great reason we need to really be in our words so that we are understanding what's coming from God, what he's directing, and more importantly, he knows us by name. He knows each and every one of you individually, your struggles, and you just need to give it to God and cast your cares, First Peter 5.7. So the new covenant 
is such an amazing free gift at the sacrifice of Jesus. Matthew 15 shares a story of the Canaanite woman begging for mercy on her daughter who is demon-possessed. Now, this woman is not a part of the chosen people for Abraham and everybody, so when she comes to them, they're kind of like, what's this woman doing here? You know, get away. You know, like, you shouldn't be around. And even Jesus ignores her initially until she speaks. But, and so Matthew 15, 22 through 28, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he said, But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall off their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. See, this is an old covenant. This is, Jesus' blood isn't even spilt yet. And somebody else, by the worshiping of God and Jesus, was able to be brought into that blessing. Um, for even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So how much more church do we have under a new covenant and a threshold covenant with a seat at the master's table? The third point is God is a merciful God. This one speaks to me because uh, I get caught up too much in the the way things are these days, and, uh, you know, just let it be settled, Lord. But, um, you know, if God was merciful in the Old Testament, I just can't fathom how much more he is now. Jonah is a great story about the mercy of God. So when we hear the story of Jonah and the fish, most of the time we've always thought of Jonah just being disobedient and didn't want to just go and do what God asked him to. But really at the heart of it is, Jonah didn't want the mercy to be shed on that place. Jonah 1-2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up to me, has come up before me. This wickedness is not a wickedness that we really even fathom this day. The wickedness in that time was by a force of Assyrians who were at the moment ruling the world there, and they were not a pleasant bunch. Um, one of their commanders wrote, they apparently kept great history, and one of their commanders wrote about the things that they would do. I destroy, I demolish, I burn. I took their warriors, prisoners, and impaled them on stakes before their cities, flayed the nobles as many ha as had rebelled, and spread their skins out in piles. Many of the captives I burned in a fire, many I took alive. 
From some, I cut off their hands. From others, I cut off their noses, ears, and fingers. I put out the eyes of many of the soldiers. I slew 260 fighting men. I cut off their heads and made pyramids thereof. I slew one of every two. I built a wall before the great gates of the city. I flayed the chief men of the rebels, and I covered the walls with their skins. Some of them were enclosed alive in the bricks of the wall. Some of them were crucified on stakes along the wall. I caused a great multitude of them to be flayed in my presence, and I covered the walls with their skins. I gathered the heads in a form of crowns, and their pierced bodies in a form of garlands. So that doesn't really sound like an issue of whether you're a man, a woman, um, you know, what you want to impose on the children. But this was a place that Jonah probably was afraid of, but more importantly, I don't think he wanted them to have the option of mercy. He probably did not feel that it was deserved. So Jonah knew that if they repented, he would not destroy them. And it took three days in a fish and being vomited out onto shore for him to kind of get the picture that God still wants this to happen. So Jonah, three, Jonah, after he spit out, goes into the city, and this is a big city, 40-foot walls. It was something like, I think, a three-day's journey to go around it. And he goes in and starts proclaiming of what God's going to do to this city. And the, what's amazing is the people heard. The people heard, and they repented. Jonah 3, 7, 10. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had, said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. See, God always accepts a repentant heart. And this isn't repent, this isn't just, oh, you got caught. Forgive me. I didn't mean to. It's a repentant heart where of truly wanting to turn from your old ways and not just feel sorry about it. Jonah became obedient, but was still very angry about this. So much that he even cried out to be dead. Jonah 4:2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. He was so mad, he was sitting there watching the city, just praying for his death, I think, deep down hoping that, you know, God maybe still punish them for all their sins. And God wanted to teach him another story while he's sitting there. So he's sitting there burning in the sun. God creates a plant to come up over, give him shade. Jonah felt a little better. And then the next night, God created a worm, 
to wither that plant. Jonah's crying out again, how much, just take my life, God. Jonah 4, 10 through 11, but the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. See, again, this is an area I need to work on. It. A non-believer, we can't expect to live with the beliefs of Christ if they have not even accepted him. They are not going to know their right hand from their left hand. They are not going to know what kind of sin and what kind of eternal death is coming from their satisfactional pleasures. But church, we need to do our part. Sure, coming every Sunday and fellowshipping with like-minded people, drinking the coffee, sharing what God's doing in our life here in this comfortable environment is great, but we need to reach out and you with Christ Jesus have more than enough power to reach out in that form. You see, what the church doesn't fill, the enemy will. The mercy and grace shown to Nineveh, again, was under an old covenant. And in fact, Sodom and Gomorrah would have been saved had Abraham's plea been met. See, Abraham pleaded with God, Lord, if there's 50, people, 50 righteous people, and the Lord said, okay. And then... I'm surprised, every time I read it, I'm surprised God just wasn't like, all right, enough. But he goes from 50, well, how about 40? God says, okay. Well, he keeps getting an okay, so, well, God, well, how about we go down to 30? Okay, Lord, forgive me, but how about we go to 20? Okay, gets all the way down to 10. I'm surprised he didn't go down to five, and then it might have been saved. But, um, but so he gets down to 10. And the Lord would have followed his word. He would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah if there were just 10 righteous people in there because the mercy of God is there. But at that point, he still saved the righteous people that they found. He still saved Lot and his family. So when we reach this salvation, we need not to look back and be like Lot's wife. We need to run and flee from that, from the old you, and become that new you in Christ Jesus and renew the mind. God is a merciful God. God is trying to wake people up. The bride is being built up and the love of Christ is abundant. Let's start being wet water walkers and not dry boat talkers. Everybody can talk in the boat, but God wants us to step out and do miracles, church. So, I do get a little too nervous, so I kind of did get through that a little quicker this time around. But, um, you know, more people are up here. But, <laughs> but um, really, the truth of God, we need to stand firm on that. It's his living word. I encourage you to find a scripture you like that's going to lift you up. Speak it daily, multiple times daily. When you're declaring his word, God is hearing your word and he is going to honor that for you. I feel we need to reach out more into our neighborhoods, into people around us in our workplace, not just go through the day, maybe the 
meetings you may have through the church, the men's group, or wherever you have your comfort zone, but to continue to reach out because Revelations is coming soon. And once that bride's built up, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. We need to stay sober and keep our mind on Jesus and be a part of that salvation, church. So, Father, I just pray that, again, you lift up the Kalea group, that you send them off in your strength, Lord, and that they honor you and serve you and worship you, Father, and give them strength in a community that does not even think of you, Lord. I pray that you lift up this church, Lord. Be with them, guide them, strengthen them, put on their their hearts what you want them to do, and I pray that they listen and are obedient in that moment, Father. I pray that if there's anybody here that is in need of healing emotionally, physically, mentally, that you will just put your hand over them, Father, and just heal as I know you want to, and that they willing will accept it, Lord, and that they seek it for you. I pray that you, again, are with Pastor Rod and his healing and any others that are here that are in need of it, Lord. I know that you are, and I know that you are willing. Lift up this church and edify it. May they be a beacon through Flagler County, and as we reach locally, we spread out, and it just continues to grow, Lord, and that other churches in the community are doing the same, Father, and seeking your word and your salvation and being reaching out to those of the lost, Father. I pray that you guide us this week, give us strength through our days, and that we take the fire that we have here into this evening, in the morning, the rest of the week, and that we just continue to reach out and be the preachers in the gospel and follow your great commission, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, feel free. Still can chit-chat, grab some more coffee. There might be some more snacks left. I'm not sure. You know, we get through them pretty quick. So, well, thank you.